The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We are uh, working through the different questions that, that uh, we ask ourselves to find out where we are as disciple makers. And the first question was, am I fervently pursuing my faith? The second question is, am I invested completely? And when we say, am I invested completely, it, it just covers so much that we realized we couldn't just do one quick study about it. We had to really explore it. Uh, and so we don't have a lot of churches have what they call a discipleship path like there's certain classes you take and there are steps that you do and some of them even broken up almost like college like there's 101 classes and 201 and 301 and 401 and and we just believe discipling is more organic than that and that every person kind of has their own path that they take but there are some things that are um, similar to every path. There are some things that every person on the path does, and there are four of those. Every person who is involved in becoming a disciple maker needs to engage with the church. Every person who is on the, the discipleship path needs to learn how to give. They also need to learn how to grow, and they need to learn how to share. Engage, give, grow, share. And so we spent the last two weeks talking about what it means to be engaged. That gathering on Sunday is important, but that it's not enough. That gathering in a way that helps us to disciple each other and to, and to grow together is important. So we need to also engage in some way in a smaller group. Uh, Sunday gatherings are great because we all get the same teaching and we all get the same experience and we can encourage each other. But at the same time, there are some things that we can only handle in smaller groups where we were with men and women that we trust. And so both are necessary to be engaged. Uh, now we're moving on into the next section, which is about giving. And it's been my experience that most people come to the table when they come to the church and the church says, it's time for you to give. The first thing they think of is money. money. Right. And so if I don't have any money, I have nothing to give. The second thing they think of is, is uh, your time and your talents, right? And there are some of us who are like, uh, well, I'm, I'm the one person that God made where I have no talent right. and I have no time. So I can't give there either. And so we're going to talk about both of those things. But we're going to start out with the kind of thing that everyone can give. It doesn't matter who you are. And that is encouragement. There is no one in this room who is unable to, maybe unwilling, but not unable to give encouragement. So when I ask myself, am I invested completely? One of the things I have to ask is, am I encouraging people 
in the way that I can. Now we always start with a consider question. And so this is the consider question and it's gonna lead us into encouragement. If we don't understand the answer to this question, we're gonna have our time encouraging others. And the question to this week is, how does Jesus affect your lifestyle? We'll give you about 10 seconds to think about that. All right, we are going to be in Titus. Titus, chapter 3. Verses 1 through 8. Some of you are going, wait, there's a Titus in the Bible? Where is that? Okay, go to the very end of the Bible and turn left. You'll get through Revelation. You'll get through uh, the Johns and the Peters. And before you get to the Timothys, you'll get to Titus. If you start in the back and work to your left, you'll get to the Titus. It's much easier if you use your phones and you can just tap, 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 and just look for Titus, and bam, there it is, right? That's the beauty of you version. All right, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. If you guys are there, say amen. amen. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. So we're going to start in verse 1. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. So that first verse, as Christians, you know, we have an allegiance to Jesus, right? We have said we are going to be a follower, an allegiance. We have the allegiance to Christ. And we have said that, but we also must obey our government and our leaders. And that can be hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. That can be hard sometimes, especially when we don't agree with what they're doing and the choices they're making. And the only time that that is okay is when they're asking us to disobey God. Right? Right. Um, But even the disciples themselves, all through the time that they were following Jesus, never did they disobey their government. Okay? So it's important for us, Paul is saying, we we must continue. We have that responsibility. It's that civil law, and we need to be be doing that. Um, And and living in a way that honors God and helps people see who he is. That's basically what he's saying here. And when we live our life out in such a way, then others look at us and say, well, how are you able to do that? When you know you don't agree with, the Republicans, or you don't agree with the Democrats, or you don't agree with your your you know your county person in charge, right? Yes, right. And you say, how can you how can you live like that? And you say, because that's what the Lord has done in my life, and that was what He's told me to do. Um, and so it's all about living in a way that honors God. Yeah, this is an old term, but I'm falling in love with it more and more. Gospel living. Have you ever heard that term, gospel living? So, what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so think of it's good news living. It's recognizing the good news of Jesus and what he has done for us and how he has changed our lives and living in such a way that we present that good news to someone else. Okay. Then in verse 2, when it says there, they should be gentle and show true humility. The actual Greek word there is meekness to everyone. And if you guys remember, if you were with us, some time ago, we spent a whole sermon series talking about how to be humble and how to be meek. And that, is, and that meekness is not a sign of weakness. Right. Meekness actually takes more strength, right? When you are faced with diversity, when you are faced with um, objection, when you are faced with whatever it is that's going on in your life, to be able to handle that in a 
a meek way in a way that is honoring to God actually takes more strength, not less. That's right. And, and remember, meekness is strength under control. Right. So you have the strength to resist, but you are allowing yourself to live under control instead. And so sometimes when people are not acting the way they should, sometimes we need that meekness. And what we end up doing is we end up showing the strength instead of the meekness. And that just creates more issues and more trouble. Um, meekness allows us to live in such a way that, um, that we live in peace with everyone, which is all through the scripture, is to live in peace. And that peace means wholeness, not lack of conflict. We might have some conflict with them, but we do it in the wholeness of what God has made us to become, not in the brokenness that we were in before. Right. And the Bible talks about the, that humility and meekness is an important quality. It's something that we're supposed to have. And it builds bridges between us as a family and also for the people that, that aren't a part of our family. And it builds those bridges together and so people see that. And Jesus referred to himself as humble and gentle in heart. Right? And then in Romans 12:3, Paul wrote, the clearest definition of humility, apart from Jesus' own example, don't think you are better than you really are. Amen. Good old Paul, he just shoots it straight. Don't think you're better than you are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Remember, he knows who you really are. And remember that you are precious in his eyes. And so is everyone else. And, and that's hard sometimes, isn't it? It's hard when we have an enemy or we have someone that we don't get along with or someone who's given us a hard time. It's hard to remember that those are God's children too. Yes. Um, and like I said, it takes more strength <laughs> than it does weakness to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and the opposite side of that is humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. You understand the difference? Yeah. Um, and so that allows you then, instead of worrying about my agenda and my needs, I'm putting the needs of the other person in front of mine, but I don't think less of myself. I'm a child of God. He has saved me and made me whole and he has given me confidence to live in joy in every circumstance. I don't have to be a, a, a doormat. Mm -hmm. But I do put the needs of the person in front of me, in front of my own, because I can trust that God's going to protect my needs. Right. And I'm going to get in the kitchen here in a minute. Ooh. I'm going to get in the kitchen. Let's talk about technology for a minute. Because that is one way that mm. it cannot be good. Right? So in this age of technology, when our feelings get hurt, and somebody, it's just too easy to get on social media, right? It's too easy to get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and say things about the person that's hurting you, right? Because we want them to know how we're feeling. Judging, criticizing, slandering, tearing each other down. Those are some of the easiest things to do. And if you get on there even for just 30 seconds and you start typing and you hit that send, Ooh, that can be devastating, and you can't take it back. Because once it's in that world, in cyber world, you cannot get it back. I, I, right? Even if you delete it, somebody's seen it. I'm just keeping it real. Just keeping it real. I don't necessarily, it's not even necessarily my favorite person in the world, but back in the day, Rosie O'Donnell had a talk show, and yeah. she would talk about this and how her finger would hover over the send button. Yeah. And she's deciding whether or not to send. Delete or send. Delete or send. Um, and... Let's, let's just not put ourselves in that place where we have to make that decision after we've already written it. If you've got to write it down, write it on a piece of paper. Yeah, Don't type it out where you can send it. 
That's because, what journals are for. Because <laughs> yeah. it is really easy to convince yourself that God wants you to send it. That God wants you to make this point. And the truth is, you're calling the whole world into an argument. When Christ says, if you have issues, if you have offense with your brother, go to him personally, one to one. That's how you handle those situations. Let's look at Romans 12, too. Did I go ahead of you on that? Yeah. Well, all of that is summed up with this. Remember right. how to live. Right. Okay. Paul, Paul is telling Titus, hey, rem he's reminding him. He's encouraging him. Remember how to live. So then we look at, if you guys will turn to Romans 12, 2, we're going to put it up on the screen for you, too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Right? It's easy for us to do what everybody else is doing. But Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that. You are my child, and you are better than that. So don't copy what the world is doing. Right. Don't get on there and slander and badmouth everybody on, on social media, right? Or at work or wherever. You know, change the way you think. It begins here. It begins in the mind. And then you will know God's will for you. When you get all that, what Michael calls stinking thinking, mm -hmm. right? Get that out of your mind. Then God has room to come into your mind. Get rid of the crap. Let God in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We should put that on t-shirts. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, that, that is the very definition of repentance. To recognize the error of what the world is teaching you and how you have followed it for too long. And to rethink it. And when you rethink it, to act differently. To be transformed by God's way of approaching things. Right. So the first one was remember how to live. The next one, starting in verse 3, is going to be remember how you used to live. So this is for our folks who've already said yes to Jesus, okay? Verse 3, once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slims, slaves, slims, I don't know where that word came from, <laughs> became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. So let's... Let's talk about each one of those sinful nations just briefly, right? So here, here's the thing about sin, which sin is what? What has Michael taught you? What's, what have we taught you about what sin is? Missing the mark. Yes, Missing the mark. That's right. Missing You've got the, the gold star for today, baby girl. Missing the mark. Okay? And here's the, na here's the nature of sin. It will make you a slave. Yes. If you're not a slave to sin now, you soon will be. If you keep doing the same things over and over and over again, you will become slaves. And what happens? Remember me saying earlier, God let the chains fall where they may. Those chains are brought on by the sin that we continue to do. And it bonds us. It shackles us. And we can't move past it. And that's what sin will do. Pleasure here, when he's talking about lust and pleasures, pleasure is actually from the root word that is translated hedonism, H-E-D-O-N-I-S-M, hedonism, which is the belief that indulgence in something is the chief end of life. In, in other words, it, it's the you only live once kind of. It, it's what's most important to me is that I get the most pleasure out of life because this is all there is. Yeah. I deserve to have fun, right? 
I deserve this. I've worked hard. I've deserved all these things. I just got to be me. This is just me. I lose my temper. That's who I am. When I get mad, I go and I, and I do X, Y, and Z. Right? I'm just being who I am. Okay? We all hear those phrases, right, in our culture and the things that people tell us. But the truth of the matter is, at some point, those things are, could overtake you. They're going to overtake you, and you're going to become shackled. And here's the thing about freedom to do whatever you want when you want to do it. You eventually will end up in bondage to that which you are pursuing. You'll hear people talk all the time, people who win the lottery. They'll win $4 million, and they think it's the be-all and end-all. And then a year and a half later, they're in way worse debt or way worse of a situation than they ever were when they won that lottery. Why? Because they become that, that greed and that lust for more and more and more. The more you have, the more you got to deal with it. <laughs> it's just true. It's not that we can't have nice things, but let's be honest. The more stuff you got, the more you got to take care of it. Right? And even that can become a place where we're trying to fill a void. We're trying to fill a whole hole with stuff. And then eventually that stuff becomes our bondage. And that, Does that, that make sense? That can happen with things that we, we automatically think can be bad. Um, wanting, wanting money over everything else can be bad. Wanting power over everything else can be bad. But that can also happen with good things. So if you, if you are seeking out romantic love, and it is more important than anything else. C.S. Lewis talked about this, and he said, here's the thing, is when you make love your God, too often it becomes a demon. In other words, it becomes so important to you that it, it crowds out God and it causes you to do things you would never do otherwise. And you are all of a sudden, in the name of romantic love, lying, deceiving, hurting, cheating, all of these different things, or shirking responsibilities. And, you know, I, I know I married you and I, used, I, I still love you, but I'm not in love with you. I'm now in love with this other person, and that's that's what's and that starts breaking up all the relationships that you have. If you're not careful, it can become a demon, just like the bad things can. And so, Paul is saying, "Remember who you used to be? You were foolish sometimes, and and you just fell into it. You were disobedient sometimes and rebellious, and you did it whether you liked it or not. And you chased after all of these other things. That's who you used to be. So when you're dealing with someone else." They either also used to be that or they are still that. And your job is not to remind them of that. Your job is to remind them of what it means to live a life that is devoted to God. You are to encourage them to do it because it takes more courage to live a right life than it does to live a messed up life. Because right. to live a right life, you've got to make hard choices. So the root of encouragement is courage. When you give someone encouragement, what you're doing is you're helping them be brave enough to make the right decisions. And Paul is saying to Titus, hey, remind them. Train them like little kids. Train them as if they don't know what you know. Let them know that there is a right way to live, but do it in such a way like you would with a kid. You're, you're not going to lord it over them and beat it into them. You are going to help them understand it. They're going, you're going to teach them and train them as best you can. You're going to try to pull them in when they make mistakes. Imagine if you had a little kid and he was just learning to stand up. 
and he's grabbing hold of the couch and he turns and looks at you. And you can see it in his eyes. He's coming to you. It's his first time ever. And he turns around and he takes a step and he falls down. And you say, how dare you not walk all the way to me? Who do you think you are? That's not what we do, is it? Most of the time we go, yay, you took a step. That's great. Come on, get up on the couch. Let's try again. Right? That's encouragement. That's different than disciplining someone. It's different than what it is. It's, it's saying you got that far, but you can go further. And that's what Paul is asking Titus to do. And I believe that's what God asks us to do. Remember how you live, but also remember how you used to live because you once were there too. And but for the grace of God would still be. Try. So then, right, first was that, then remember. And then this last verse is verse 4 through 7. Remember the life that is in us. Okay? I love Paul because sometimes he'll break us down to, to lift us back up. That's right. And definitely in this passage, he's doing that, right? We call this it the is, compliment sandwich. This is who you used to be, right? All the envy, the fo you were a fool. You were all of these things, but now, but, and I love how verse four starts out. What's the first word it says? But. <laughs> That's a big old booty. That is but. Paul's saying but. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Glory to God. Not because of the righteous things we had done, right? And in church words, we call that works. Right? Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in his sight or justified and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. We move from a life full of sin to one full of God's Holy Spirit. And it began with God's kindness and his love. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Yes. Praise God, right? All of our, all, and all means what? All. all of our sins were washed away. Not just some, all of them. Now, do we still sin? Do we still miss the mark after we become believers? Absolutely. It's going to happen because we're human. But now we have Jesus. And he washes those sins away. He knows we're going to mess up. And it's, it's okay because he loves us anyways. And he's washing us every time. Washing us. And, and you'll notice he says that cleansing process. He washed away our sins. That cleansing process, through, though, occurs throughout our lives. Until we reach heaven. From our beginning of our breath to the last breath we take. It's a process. Yes. It's a journey. Becoming a believer isn't just magically, I got dunked and now I come up and everything's perfect. Right? Who can testify to that? Amen? Mm -hmm. Right. It's a process. It's a journey. But throughout that journey, what Paul's saying here is we are being constantly cleansed. We are constantly being washed free of our sins. And we have a new life. And why? Because we have the Holy Spirit who resides within us. Hallelujah. Yes. That's so good. That's good. That's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so here's the thing is, as, as we're remembering the life that is in us, it gives us the strength to live the life that he starts out with. So he's just reminding, he's just bringing us back to the beginning. So remember how we live. 
Remember who we used to be whenever we're dealing with other people. And remember the life that is in us now is the life that we're trying to give to the ones that we're talking to. And so at the end of the day, what we're asking everyone to do is to remind each other, to remind each other what God is talking about. So, so what does that look like for us to remind each other? I, I, we, we have a passage. I think we skipped over a passage, Ephesians 2. Mm-hmm. So just to go along with what I was saying, but God is so rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you are saved. But grace is not only for salvation. Grace is also for sanctification. And that's a really big $50 word in the, in the church. What does it mean? It means that God made you perfect in the beginning. And you, you can now have assurance that he is going to allow you into heaven because of what his son did. But he, he doesn't like magically appear and all of a sudden there's stardust all over the place and the sun comes down and shines on you and you sprout wings and and you get a harp and a halo and you go up to heaven right then right he leaves you how he leaves you here on earth why you not to be more perfect because you can't be more perfect than perfect it's so that the people around you can see the process that you go through it's so that people can see and that's what sanctification is is the process by which We are changed and transformed by God into something different. If you are the same person today that you were a year ago, then you have not let God work on you in the right way. But the the beauty is it's grace that allows for sanctification. And so that means you can start today by rethinking it, by going, okay, God, I repent of my unwillingness to change in the last year. Today I'm going to start making changes. And he's ready right then for you to do that. So... As we do that, we also have opportunities to come together and to learn from each other, but also to hold each other accountable and to encourage each other. Now, accountability has a bad name because accountability is often thought of as, I'm going to make sure you don't do anything wrong. But that's not the kind of accountability that we promote here at The Jar. We promote encouraging accountability. And encouraging accountability says, No matter what you've done up to this moment, what can you do right now to take the next step? And that's what we hope to do. So we want you to remind each other. If you see a brother stumbling, God says, bear each other's burdens. Don't don't just let them stumble. Bear each other's burdens. Help each other out. And there are a lot of different ways to do that. And we all have the capacity to just go to a brother or sister and say, you look like you got something on your mind. Can I encourage you? What, what, is it, what is it that I can help you understand? Can I, and to encourage is to make you brave. Can I help make you brave to make a right decision in this situation? Right. Right. Okay. So starting in verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings. So that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for Everyone, And everyone means everyone. everyone, right? Paul reminds us that we must devote ourselves to doing good. That could be serving, giving and of your time, of your talents, of your money. That could be being engaged in the community outside these walls, but also being engaged here at the jar. Those are all important things, but it's not the works that save you, right? Right. God doesn't send anybody to hell, y'all. 
We do that ourselves. By the choices we make and the things that we do. He loves us. It's his mercy and grace that saves us. He doesn't want us to go there. He wants us to be with him. That's the kind of Abba, the kind of daddy that I have. And if you are not a believer, you can have him too. That's right. And he is much better than any earthly father we could have ever had. Not that some of our earthly fathers weren't amazing, but he's even beyond more than that, right? Because he loves you unconditionally. And here's the thing, right living, righteousness, right living produces fruit. When you start putting things, when you start rethinking and you start living right, it produces that fruit and you're doing good things. Yes, and we want to help make you brave enough to make that decision. We want to encourage you to say yes to Jesus because when you do, the beauty of it is, um, in, in AA, the first step is to re realize that you are powerless, that you are powerless to change on your own. You can't do it. You need a higher power than you to make that happen. We believe that Jesus is the only higher power and that he has the capacity to do that for you. We want to help you to be brave enough to make that decision and say yes to him. Because when you do, what he's promised is that he's going to give you the power through the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be your power. It's going to be his power. But it's going to be working in you so that you can do what is good and pleasing and perfect inside of God. And when that happens, others will see that. They'll say, what's different about you? Yeah, how, You've Ms. changed. You've what's changed. different about you, Miss Patsy? You've changed. Something going on with you. What's going on with you? Right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And God, and, and it's not because you want the praises of other people, right? That's where that humility comes in that Paul's talking about. It's so that others can see what God has done. You give him the glory. And then you encourage each other. Here's the thing. There are a lot of churches in this town, and there are a lot of pastors and pastors' wives, but it is not our job to encourage everybody. Guess whose job it is? It's ours. Yes. Yes. We have to lift each other up. And there have been times when I have felt not like encouraging anybody. <laughs> I have felt low and I have nothing left in my jar to pour out to empty. But there have been times at just that moment when God sends somebody to me and I pour into them. And then I walk away and go, wow, that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit living within me. Praise you, Jesus, for that. And you see God move, and guess what happens? Your jar instantly gets filled. Yes, yes. Okay, so sometimes just encouraging each other, it can go such a long way in filling your jar up as well as the jar of the other person. Mm -hmm. I I'm telling you, it works. I've seen it Amen. all the time. I've seen it in my job. I've seen it in this ministry. I've seen it in the past. And just remember, what Paul is saying is, remember where you came from? You were just like they were. Yes. And you're not like them anymore. So when somebody comes through our door here at the jar, guess what? We're going to love them for who they are in that moment. Right. Because yeah. you and me, we once were that person that Paul's right. talking about. Yep. A fool, envious chasing after things that we shouldn't have been chasing after, filling that hole with things we shouldn't have been filling it with. Preach, girl. But you know what? When you come in here, we're going to love you with Jesus' love because that's what it's all about. 
And that's what he's saying here. Encourage each other. I have I have an illustration I'm going to read for you guys that goes along me, with that. But our B yeah. is well, be let, let's encouraging. Do, let's, do, let, let, let's, let's talk about this passage because this is an important passage. 2 Timothy 2.25. I'm jumping ahead. I'm all excited, She's, all, she's preaching, so it's okay. It's I'm right. jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead. All right. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. That mm. word gently instruct means to, to teach someone as if they're children. Now, it doesn't mean be condescending toward them and act like they don't know any better. What it means is, just like oh, you're like teaching a child ABCs, you, you, you are careful, you are patient, you, you do correct, but you correct in a loving way. You do everything you can to cajole them and get them to learn. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. There's that meekness. Perhaps, if yeah. you do that, perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. And you remember last week we talked about captives. And that our job is not, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. The flesh and blood are captives to the devil's Slaves, schemes. That's slavery. And what yeah. we want to do is free them from that. And so we gently instruct them by making them brave enough to make the decisions that need to be made for their lives to get turned around. And the very first one is trust Jesus. And notice, does it say, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps Michael will change those people's yeah, hearts. Come on, come on. Perhaps Steve will change those people's hearts. Is that what it says? What's it say? God will change their hearts. It is not our place to tell people how to live. We can instruct you and we can encourage you. And we can show you what God says. But at the end of the day, who's the one who changes people's hearts? God changes them. This is an oversimplification. Right? But listen, this is a way for you to think about it. When you're dealing with someone, you know they're lying. You know they're doing terrible things. You know they're struggling. Listen, it is God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's Jesus' job to save. It's your job to love. If you take God's job and you judge them, you miss the opportunity to teach them truth. If you take the Holy Spirit's job to convict them, you miss the opportunity to give them the truth. If you try to save them on your own, you miss the opportunity to give them God's truth. But if you love them, then God gets, to, gets an open door to help teach them his truth. Oh, come on. That's good preaching, y'all. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Now right. do I get to share it? Now. Oh, now, now I get to share it. Well, our, right. our B today is be, encouraging. is be encouraging. Almost 200 years ago, a guy named George Wilson was sentenced to die by hanging after he killed a guard while robbing a federal payroll. President Andrew Jackson, feeling gracious and merciful, I don't know. If Keith were here, Steve, he'd ask if you knew, remembered President Jackson. <laughs> That's right, he would. That's right. <laughs> Feeling gracious and merciful, decided to pardon him. And unbelievably, Wilson refused to accept the pardon. The case became so legally confusing that the Supreme Court had to give a ruling. Chief Justice John Marshall delivered the verdict. He said, a pardon is a parchment 
whose only value must be determined by the receiver of the pardon. It has no value apart from that which the receiver gives it. George Wilson had refused to accept the pardon. We cannot conceive why he would do so, but he has. Therefore, George Wilson must die. We have been given a pardon by Jesus for all we've done in the past. We've been given power to deal with the future and we have the promise of where we will spend eternity if we accept him for who he is. And we are sinners, but there is a savior. And he calls all people everywhere to turn away from sin and turn to him if we'll just accept the pardon. But that pardon will only go into effect if you receive it. The people that you encourage may not be ready to receive it yet, but you can teach them to be ready to receive it by receiving it yourself. And if you're here today and you have not received the pardon of Jesus, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. This is your opportunity to say yes to him. Even if you thought you said yes before, but you didn't realize that you really hadn't said yes and you're ready now, now is the time. Today is the day because what that does is that allows God to put inside of you the power to change and transform you into the person you never thought you could be. Too much has happened, Pastor. I've done too many terrible things. There are too, there's too much on my plate, Pastor. I'm too busy. There's too much that I don't know yet, Pastor. I just don't, there's no way that I can do that. You're absolutely right. All of those things are true unless you receive Christ and the pardon that he gives because then the Holy Spirit makes all of that possible. You can be transformed by him yes. today. Yes, yes. So we're going to go into a time of reflection, and we're going to give you an opportunity then to, um, to decide whether that's something that you want to do. If you are already a believer, it may be that you realize that you have not been very encouraging, and you would like to God to teach you to be encouraging. Or it may be that you need encouragement any of those things are good reasons to meet us in prayer as we play this song for you. We want you to consider this an opportunity for you to rethink how you are approaching church. You are not coming here to get from everyone. You're coming here to give, and by giving, you will get. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Jar with Pastors Michael and Carrie Rogers. If you're a believer in Christ looking for an opportunity to learn how to be a disciple maker, come see us at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Our regular gatherings start on Sundays at 4 p.m. so you can still make it to see us today. Hope to see you soon. I am filled To be empty